uh, may have a few out sick or whatever, but uh, always nice to be able to get together. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to do something maybe a little, little different, a little unique, uh, in the sense that we're still going to be talking about uh, some of the things we've dealt with as far as the Lord's church is concerned and understanding correctly. And this morning, the, the lesson is mainly talking about the Christian and the local church, individual Christian and local church, as it has to do with the use of money. Now, I'm going to hurriedly say this is not about giving, <laughs> okay? Uh, you know, I, I'll give you a little side note. As a preacher, I learned a long time ago, if I preach on giving, the giving will go down. <laughs> That'd be, that's, that's probably twofold. I'm bad at it, and, uh, and, 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 and it, it, it's irritating. Uh, well, it, it is also something that I never, I never liked to, to preach on anyway. It's like, why am I doing that? If you have a heart, you're, it's the heart that's the deal. It's not about giving per se. And, and secondly, the, uh, if you're thinking, well, this sermon then is about money, I'm going to again say no, uh, the sermon is not about money. The sermon deals with the contrast between what God has asked the individual to do with his or her money and what God has asked a local church to do with the money that is uh, collected and, in fact, what God has said that we are to do concerning uh, that particular collection. Uh, let me give you just three main reasons why I think talking about this is important. The first being that Jesus and the apostles spoke extensively about the use of money. Jesus even talked about how important it was that how we use our money uh, in, in regard to our own salvation. It, it is an extremely important topic, and the Bible spends a lot of time on it. So it is, it is important to talk about it from that standpoint. Secondly, uh, lots of divisions have happened both in families and marriages and even in local churches as to the authority of how money is to be used and what it's supposed to be used for. So uh, obviously then it is important to talk about from that angle. But most importantly, we want to talk about this uh, because we need to understand the importance of being able to be spot on as far as what God tells us to do as a local church and as an individual, and so that we do not destroy God's mission. God has a mission, an important, important kingdom mission, kingdom work that needs to be done, and the use of money can either accelerate or, and, and help that, or it can destroy it. And how we look at this will have to do with how we look at our whole work, whether we are an individual working as an individual Christian or whether we are working as a local group of people. So this sermon is really about God's kingdom work more than anything else and goes beyond, well, what, how money might be used either individually or collectively. So we're going to take a quick journey for a moment in which I'm going to put the scriptures up on the screen because it is, uh, would be more difficult for you if I asked you just to keep turning as rapidly as we're going to do this. But we're going to look at just what do, why does a local church take a collection? 
what in the Bible asks us to do this. And as we do, I want you to notice that embedded in each of these texts is going to be reasons why the collection is made. So we'll hit these, as I said, fairly rapidly, but it'll give you an idea. I'm hitting most of the passages that I can think of in the New Testament that have to do with the church itself, a local church itself. So we start in the very beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. You will remember that Christians had come, or Christians, Jews had come from all over the world to the day of Pentecost. The gospel had been preached, and then apparently they didn't immediately go back home as they would have normally stayed together, and then there became many who were in need, probably especially those who had traveled a distance and had budgeted just to get there, go through the feast, and then get back home. So the scripture says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You notice the emphasis on all of the believed were together, those who believed were together, and they were sharing. This is not something that kept going on and on and on. It was a temporary situation for the needs at that moment. You see this also happening and mentioned in chapter 4 of Acts and verse 34 and 35. For there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So here, the church has not spread. The Christians have not spread away from Jerusalem. They have grown by this time to possibly twenty to 25,000 people, and they are taking care of one another because of the extensive needs that they had. We also see in the middle of this, in between these two mentions, we see Peter and John in chapter 3 going up to the temple at the hour of prayer and running into a man who had been lame from birth and was asking money from them, asking them to give them money. And uh, the scripture says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I always thought it was interesting that we've already read that the monies that the individual Christians were giving, they were laying at the feet of the apostles, and the apostles were distributing it to the believers as they have need. And then here Peter comes, he is an apostle, and John, who is an apostle, comes and this guy asks money, and he goes, we don't have any. And, uh, you know, as an insider, you'd go, wait a minute, you've got, the, you, you've got the whole collection at your feet. What are you talking about? But Peter says, don't have anything personally. What we do have, we will give you. There is the individual now acting on the behalf of somebody who is in need. And we're going to give you something more important, obviously, than money. And he, uh, he uh, heals him. And the result of this is not only this man leaping and praising God, but many others then coming to Christ as a result of that. And we go over to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. 
Again, still the, the Jerusalem church has not spread out. They're still together. And the scripture says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist, Greek-speaking Jews, rose against the Hebrews, Hebrew-speaking Jews, because their widows are being neglected in the daily distributions. So apparently there were so many widows that were in need that there was a daily distribution of food to take care of them, and again, among the Christians there at the church. When we get to chapter 11, now there's churches all over the area going up into Syria and, and beyond. And the scripture says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, so we're, we're up around 47, 48 AD at this time. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Uh, so we, we, we see the Agabus making a prophecy. It's going to be this great famine throughout the land. And then the brethren at Antioch determined then to send relief. And they take up collections, send, to re, send relief. And they give it to the elders. There will be elders all over the churches of Judea so that they can take care of the uh, needy that are within the churches where they are. One of the mistakes that's made about this text is assuming that the money was sent to Jerusalem and then the Jerusalem church sent the money out. And that is not what the scriptures tell us here. Elders were in every local church and that's how they sent it and that's how that was taken care of. But you again see brethren taking care of. This famine would have affected far more than just Christians and yet the offering was to take care of the brethren down there. In chapter 15 of Romans, Paul refers to a similar situation when he says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Those who share in spiritual blessings are obligated to one another to care for each other in material blessings. We go over again to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we see another reason why a church would provide or take a collection and give money. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. So obviously, Paul teaching the church at Corinth that even though he hadn't taken money from them, that would have been their right uh, to do so because of the Lord's uh, emphasis there. And then we come over to chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians that just about every Christian knows. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I emphasize what was the collection for, the collections for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, another one way Paul spoke to the Corinthians about more than nine times, ten times or so in the book. He says, I'm telling you the same thing I told other churches. So this was universal, not something that just happened to Corinth. Now concerning the collection of the church uh, for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. 
On the first day of, of every week, each one of you is to put aside something, store it up, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. He goes on to say in that text, you're going to choose somebody from your church to take the money. He can come with me if he wants. Take the money down to uh, the saints uh, that are uh, in need there in the Judea area again. And we go on from there, and Paul goes back to the Corinthians in a later letter. They have not completed this. And so he says to them, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving, thanksgivings to God. And then again in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talking about them paying him or not paying him because he wouldn't let them do so. He says, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. So Paul, of course, again emphasizing he was taken care of as an evangelist as he spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire area. We come on again to Philippians 4, and Paul mentions this church supporting him situation Another time, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent me, sent me help for my needs once and again. So the Philippian church had been a, had been a regular uh, contributor to Paul as he traveled from them into other areas, even very quickly they did so as he went over into Thessalonica. Now, here's what, that's, that's a quick list of what the scriptures say about it, but here is what we want to look at now a little more particularly. The use of money that is done by a local church and by an individual is different. In other words, God has different commands as to how a individual is to use his or her money compared to how a local church is to use the money that has been monies that have been collected by them. And we have seen this a little bit just throughout the text that we have looked at there. Now here's where I want to stop, and I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we're going to go through just looking at this text. And what we're going to see here is a difference between an individual's money and what money is collected by a local church. And this is going to be very, very distinct and very easy to see. But at the same time, I want you to be able to understand the, this text even beyond uh, that particular issue. So begin in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy and verse Three. Paul, Paul says this, honor widows who are truly widows. Uh, I, 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 the, the ESV there using the word truly, uh, if, you were, if you're older and you grew up with the King James, you, you will always enjoy as I have, uh, honor widows that are widows indeed. There you go. Who are indeed widows. But the, the idea in the ESV is, is, of course, the same. Truly widows. In other words, somebody doesn't fit this category. Paul is saying, I'm not going to count as truly a widow. And that is his differentiation. We'll see this. 
So verse 4, he says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, all right, so now back to this qualification, truly a widow, left all alone, uh, has her hope, her hopes, uh, uh, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead while, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. All right, so catch real quickly what he does in that text, especially, especially there beginning in verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren or relatives, he says they are the ones who are first obligated for this particular widow to take care of them. And he says, do not, do not let the church, then, then that is something that there is their responsibility. He says, I want you to command this to make sure that's happening. Because in verse 8, if a family does not take care of family, basically, then they have denied the faith and they are worse than an unbeliever. So they're very strong words by the Apostle Paul. All right, so some of that's going to be qualified now. So as he says this, we want to look at it a little more carefully. So now verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. I want you to notice ESV's use of the word enrolled. What I'm going to suggest to you as you look at this text, this is a situation where the condition of the widow is permanent. And her condition is not only permanent, but that the church is to enroll her, basically, as a permanent ward of the congregation. In other words, the, she is making a commitment and the congregation is making commitment. We're going to take care of you forever, <laughs> or that is until you die. We're going to continue to take care of you all the time. So much has changed. We, we have a hard time maybe conceptualizing that because so much has changed today with Medicare and all the other things that have come along. But I, I even remember my grandparents talking about the Great Depression and things went on. There, was no, there, there wasn't that kind of just immediate, whether welfare or all the other things that are available to us today, whether good or bad, however you look at that, it just wasn't there. And so it was absolutely necessary that each, that people cared for one another. I told you the story of my grandfather uh, losing half, half, half the hours in his job and his best friend losing his job. And my grandpa took care of him through the rest of the Depression and helped him with his own wages and, and planting and sowing and things like this. So th that was the kind of thing that, that had to go on then. And of course, in the first century, that was especially true. Here's a woman who has absolutely no relatives and, and how is she going to live? Somebody has to take care of her. And, and so here is where the church then would step in. But then he gives these details. Not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. So you, if you're 59, just go out and get a guy. I mean, you can get remarried. So there, there you are. If you're 60, forget it. You're over the hill. I draw some funny conclusions by some of these things, don't you? <laughs> it's just a little... I'm, I'm, 
teasing a little bit, but teasing with Paul. We, we can tease with Paul when we get there. All right, and then he talks about her reputation, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. So here, you know, here's a woman who has been completely spiritual and cared for God's cause, God's cause for years and been a wonderful servant, but refused to enroll uh, younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. All right, please pay attention to that, those words. What Paul is concerned about here is taking a woman, a widow, on the role permanently. Now again, this is not an occasional thing. This is not where, whoa, we have a widow in our congregation and, and all of a sudden something's happened and they have need and we're going to all take it. That's not talking about that, all right? We're talking about enrolling this permanent thing. She has, she has made a commitment that the rest of her life is just going to be given to service to God. If there's anything in the Bible that would ever be similar to what the Roman Catholic Church does, as far as a nun would be, this would, this would come as close as it gets. But the idea is she has made, you notice, she, if she doesn't continue that, if she... Uh, her passions bring her to marry, etc. What has she done? She's abandoned her former faith. Her former commitment is the idea. She made a commitment from now on. My life is for God. I won't be remarrying. None of those things. I'm desolate. I'm going to remain in this situation. And uh, then, and, and the church is caring for her. You, you can see a little hint here, as a matter of fact, that this woman is an important part of the work that goes on in a church even. She's, she is the kind of person who is not lazy. She's not doing any of these other things. She's not gallivanting around, just doing her own desires. She's a woman who's devoting herself and has through her life devoted herself to God's service, and she still does it. We get little hints of that even in the, under the law. Remember in the book of Luke when Anna is in the temple and she never departs from the temple and she's telling everybody about the, 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 the Messiah and the coming uh, etc. So you, you, you see uh, hints of those things uh, also. Look even further then. Uh, here's his concern, verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander for some have already strayed after Satan. So here you can see his concern that here is a person that's been put on the permanent care of the church, but has become just lazy and gallivanting around, getting herself involved in all kinds of things that she shouldn't. So he says, uh, I'd rather that younger women than, than marry. Verse 16, now here's the key verse that, that connects well with back in verse 4. So I... So if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Now, do you notice here, here's a simple difference between what an individual has, their own bank account, and basically the bank account of the church. And he says, look, 
Here's the situation. If a believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. They, they are to care for this widow. This is what is supposed to take place here. And this is one of the things, I, I think the principle that you see back in verse 8 as well, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially members of his household, he's denied the faith, is worse than... That's, that's a general rule of thumb that is applied specifically in this situation. Just like there's times in all of our lives where one of our family members goes through a tough time. And, uh, and, and I know for me and my three other siblings, uh, when one of us, uh, like my sister one time, and then of course my mother her last years, we, we got together and took care of that. And we, last thing we thought of was trying to call up a local church and say, would you, would you do the job that we're supposed to be doing? We took care of those things because that was exactly what this verse says. It's not talking about just inside your, your own house. This is talking about caring for your family members, and one who would not do that would, would uh, be denying the faith. All right, now, notice here. This is, this is the statement that's often made. I've heard the statement many times. Well, the church is same as just Christians, and it's all God's money, and therefore whatever the Christian can do, the church can do. That, that has been said, uh, you know, 100,000 times, I suppose, over and over again, of misconstruing the idea of individual Christians, even individual Christians working con conjunctly with anybody, working together with anybody, or, uh, uh, or, or just an individual working by himself, and then turn around and saying, well, whatever the individual can do, the church do, because it's all God's money. Well, that isn't quite right. We just saw in 1 Timothy 5, there are two different ownerships of money here. And some, the church is not to be burdened if there is individuals, family members, who can care for the one who is in need. That's, that's very plain. Take a look at this text over in Acts chapter 5. This is when Ananias and Sapphira had sold a plot of land and decided to lie about how much money they got, and they announced to everybody, we are giving the whole price of the land. And they had kept back part of the price. Now, it had been perfectly fine, as Peter's going to say here, perfectly fine if they wanted to give part of it, or not give any of it. That was completely up to them. But here's how Peter defines that. Peter said, uh, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. What, what does Peter say? Look, the land was yours. And after you sold it, the money was yours. It was at your disposal. But you lied. You're like, okay, we sold a piece of land for $10,000. And we come to the church and go, we sold our land for $5,000. And here's the whole amount. And they kept back $5,000. And Peter's just going, once you made a dedication of this to God, it no longer was at your disposal. And now you have lied about this, and now this is totally different. Again, you have two different bank accounts here. 
you have the bank account that of, of Ananias, and then you have the collection that was being made and laid at the apostles' feet, and there needed to be an understanding of a differentiation between the two. It's all of God's money, but God has designated how the monies of an individual are used differently than out of a church. And now, I will just say this, in debate, here is a common phrase. That which proves too much, uh, that which proves too much, proves nothing at all. So, if uh, if if we turned around and said, "Well, whatever the Christian can do, the, the church can do." Okay, well, the individual can start a business, so the church can start a business. The individual, there's all kinds of things an individual can do that you would not and understand completely would not happen in a local church. Take this for example. When Jesus uh, on, speaks of what could happen on the day of judgment, uh, he says to those on the right, you know, come blessed into the kingdom. And they go, what, 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 why did we, why did, what are you talking about? He says, for, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And somebody comes along and says, well, that says that it's perfectly okay for us to, uh, as a church, we should build cafeterias, homeless shelters, clothing outlets, hospitals, prison relief organizations. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's talking about what an individual should do if, with their money and their time in caring for those who are in need. And it should be done. And in fact, he, in the next few sentences, he condemns those who didn't do those things. But there's nothing in this text that says, well, this is what a local church does. And just think about that. How much time and money does a local church, a local group of Christians have to do God's work in his kingdom? And how much time would it take to create an organization by the church to do all these things? You would absolutely destroy God's mission as a church. And this is, the, this is the problem. There are two passages that have often been used to suggest that here's what a local church should be done, should do. Brian read for us Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 10. I'm putting verse 10 here. He says, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. If you paid attention in 6.1 all the way down through 10, if you, if you didn't notice that, go back and look at it. They're, the pronouns are always for the individual. He's talking about what an individual should be doing. Nothing in, that, in those verses have anything to do with Paul making command to what a local church ought to be doing. An individual does and always should be looking to do good to all, especially their fellow believers. That's the idea there. Another text that's often been misused that way is James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And again, this passage has been used. Well, let's, let's, the church should be building orphanages and things like that. Uh, well, then the church ought to be building colleges and hospitals and everything else. Look at the text. Who's the person who's to visit the fatherless and the widows? It's the same person at the end of the verse who is to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, unfortunately, 
a lot of times churches spend so much time talking about that that is an individual command and no time actually fulfilling that individual command. <laughs> so let's think very carefully about this. Uh, and I obviously commend this church for all the work they have done individually in taking care of orphans, adopting orphans, supporting those who do, and we need to continue to do that as individual Christians. But that isn't where the money is to come from as far as a local church is to come from us as individuals. And James makes that very clear in this particular text. Now, the point here is simply there's a difference in what we as individuals do that goes beyond, in a lot of ways, what the local church is called to do. So look at this then very carefully. What can the collection be used for? Give a summation. Let's give a quick summation here. We've already talked about needy Christians. That could be needy Christians in this church. It could be needy Christians in Florida when a hurricane hits them. It could be needy Christians anywhere. It wouldn't matter what it was. And that could be done with the collection that's made here. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, uh, the apostle there commands us to assemble. That's not the only text, but it is one of the primary texts that we know. It commands us to come together and to stir one another up to love and good works and not forsake our assembling together. Well, where are we going to assemble? Where are we going to assemble? We're well, going to have a place to assemble. Well, we'll just assemble in a home. Okay, anybody can have a home that big? <laughs> you're going to be limited to, to, you're not going to grow a church like in Jerusalem that had 25,000 people in it. How, where are you going to stop? They met in every, they didn't just meet in homes. I get a little frustrated sometime with the younger generation who, who've argued that, oh yeah, they only met in homes. Where's the authority for a church building? Um, they didn't only meet in homes. <laughs> they met in a temple. They met in schools. Uh, they met in a lot of different places wherever they could, they could find. But here's the key. When God commands us to do something, he didn't have to always detail out exactly how you accomplish that. Sometimes he did detail it. Uh, but in this case, he just said, you need to assemble. 1 Corinthians 1.10, you need to have the same mind and the same thinking, and you need to come together with unity. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, you've got to get together. The whole church has to get together and talk about those things to come to unity. Where are you going to do it? Well, you can rent, or you can buy a place, or you can whatever, but you'd have to have a place to meet. Well, where's the authority for a parking lot? Where was the authority for them to park their mule outside of the wherever they met? You have to have, where's the authority for a drinking fountain? Well, when we meet for a long period of time, water is good. And uh, so is a bathroom. On and on and on. The silly kinds of, of just bickering that takes place when the scriptures clearly tell us to do something, we have to figure out how to get it done. If I said to my, one of my sons when, when they were young, uh, hey, Brent, would you, would you go in and get me some water? He didn't have to ask me, how would you want me to carry the water to you? I would think I needed to take him and uh, find some hospital to have his brain examined. What are you talking about? You know exactly if I ask for some water, I am indicating you've got to do more than that. I got myself in so much trouble one day when I was a smart aleck 10-year-old uh, 
and um, uh, no, I was only eight. My my mom was great with child and had to and was sick for a solid nine months, so she had a gal come in and watch us. And she said to me, "Barry, go pick up your room." And I said, "I can't. It's too heavy." Uh, inability to draw a good conclusion, but I knew full well what she was saying, but it's just smart Alec. Well, there you go. We all understand what it takes. Uh, Noah, build an ark. Well, what kind of tools should I have? Build the ark. <laughs> you figure that out. <laughs> That's the idea. It fulfills the command. Uh, we need to have place because we need to get together and come to the unity of the faith. We need to be equipped in order to do the work of ministry. In 1 Thessalonians 1.8, he commends the church at Thessalonica for spreading the gospel out beyond their area. In 1 Corinthians 9.14, we just noticed that Paul says those who, who work in the gospel should live by the gospel. In 1 Timothy 5.17 and 18, he commends elders who rule well, especially those who labor in teaching and preaching, and says they should be supported in doing that. So there are lots of different ways that a collection is to be used and a collection would be made, and it continues all the time. So here's the deal. There has been a terrible misplaced emphasis in churches in America and throughout the world missing what God's mission is, and in so doing, destroyed God's mission. Here's what New Testament churches did. Jesus, when he announced the reason he came, he made it very clear. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And he has emphasized that over and over again. When you come to the end before he leaves the earth, he gives the great commission. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. He's given us a great mission to do. Think about how much time that takes. I've mentioned, I think, to you before, is many, many times in my life, teaching one person has, has made it so I've had to spend in the first year just with that one person to bring them to Christ, 300 plus hours just to do that. If you've ever taught someone, you know how much time it takes. It's a job God has given us in one way or another. Even if we're not the primary teacher, where somebody's encouraging, where somebody's coming in from different angles to help out that process. It takes lots of time to bring the gospel to the world. Prep time. None of us are inspired. We have to learn the word. We have to be prepared to do our talent in this particular cause. Throughout the book of Acts, salvation of lost souls was everything that Luke talked about. And the side point was Christians took care of each other when there were needs. And those are the two things he just keeps emphasizing on and on and on all the way through that, that great book. And then individual Christians obviously used their abilities and response and opportunity when they ran into needy individuals to do that. But even, even an individual Christian is like, okay, your mission is life, in life is to spend your total time trying to take care of people who are needy. Anyone choose that as a vocation, that's, that's fine. But that's not, the, that's not what he's saying here. 
That's not what the idea is. The idea is as we go about our journey that we make sure that we care for those. And here's what's not. Churches use their funds to send out evangelists. We saw that. That's what we read about in the New Testament. Here's what we don't read about. We don't read about churches acting like social clubs and defining fellowship as recreation and having dinner parties together. Then it, you don't find that in the scripture. So respect the silence here. God has a mission for us, and we get off into that other thing, and then we ruin the mission. Multiplying various ministries in order to provide all the ills of society. Most people that I run into think that's why we're here. That's, that's why any church exists, because we're supposed to take care of all the ills of society. No, no, it's good that there's organizations who do that. I laud them for that, individuals who want to do that. That's fantastic. But that is not our mission. Our mission is to bring people to Christ. Because I'll tell you what, we can, we can do all of those things and not one person will ever be saved. The gospel has to get out. And we take up the time away from that. And then churches overseeing the monies of other churches going on over and over again. Let me give you a simple, quick closing analogy. Uh, some of you have heard me say this before a few years ago. When Bernice and I were working together back in the 70s, we had a Bible study, a lady, ladies' Bible study, or anybody who could come, mostly it was ladies, a ladies' Bible study at 10 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. And Bernice, after the Bible study around 11 o'clock, would always have made some cookies or a coffee cake and have coffee or whatever, and, and we would enjoy uh, you know, a few of those things and sit around and talk for a while. Well, uh, one, one, uh, one week, uh, a lady uh, of, the, of the group said, hey, next week, I'd like, I'm going to just make a big old lunch, and I'd like everybody to stay, and we'll eat lunch together. And we were at Bernice's house and all that. And, um, and uh, so, okay, fine, thank you. you know, and so she does. Well, you, ladies, you know how you are. One woman does it, the next 50 have to do it too. I, I don't know where you got that brain, but uh, uh, us guys, we don't think that way. You did it, great. Congratulations, do it again if you want. Uh, I'm not doing it. <laughs> but so the next week, a lady said, well, I'll tell you what, everybody come to my house next week, and after the, after the study, we'll have, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have uh, lunch. And then the lady says, yeah, I'm a, let me, let's put a schedule out, and we'll just do this, and we'll have, we'll have lunch. And pretty soon, in the middle of the Bible study, people are getting up and going and adjusting the roast and whatever is going on. And then pretty soon... People are showing up after the Bible study who didn't come to the Bible study just because they want to eat. And I said, time out. No more. You're losing the purpose of us coming together. Now, anything technically unscriptural with coming to a home, studying, and then eating? Of course not but really unscriptural if we move, move the mission from us just being together to us preparing ourselves for God's kingdom and God's mission. That's the point. And, and I don't care whether it's eating and drinking or whatever else it is. We need to always keep our mission streamlined and eliminate those things that take away from the mission. That is what you see with God's work over and over again. There is no other reason but to keep ourselves where we ought to be as Christians in the spiritual realm and also to help others come to Christ. It's about our eternal salvation. That's the idea. All right. 
You can enjoy that or not enjoy that, but <laughs> it's important. The mission is threefold. Deepen our knowledge of God. Love one another fervently. Love lost souls. There. There's our mission. And we need to keep, keep that on track. If you're not a Christian, if you need to in, have any spiritual needs whatsoever, please talk to us uh, following services. Or if, if you would like, you're welcome to step forward. We're going to sing this song by way of encouragement. As together we stand and sing.